0: Circle K is America's thirst stop. And Dave's, especially when Dave needs refreshments for family movie night. So Dave heads straight to Circle K, where he grabs icy Polar Pop cups and frosters for the kids and chilled beer for the grown-ups. Enjoy family movie night, Dave. We'll be here for you all summer long. And right now at Circle K, save on all 20-ounce Pepsi products. Three for $4.25. So make us your first stop. Circle K, America's thirst stop. Good morning, I'm your
1: host David, aka Baba, and this is Thy Daily Edge, a fresh twist on the morning brief where I share my views on everything from recent news and current affairs to popular culture and personal finance. Hope you enjoy the show. Today I want to talk about Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, and why China will win the trade war. Let's start with the obvious. Boris Johnson just became the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. At this point, to be completely honest, I don't even know what that means anymore. I tweeted recently about the fact that since the turn of the century, since the dawn of the new millennium, the only Prime Ministers who have won an elected majority are David Cameron and Tony Blair. Yes, people pointed out that Theresa May did get a snap election in which she won, well, an overall majority after twisting the arm of the DUP, but it was effectively a minority before that. The point is that Boris Johnson is the latest in a long series of uncrowned prime ministers. And considering the fact that he didn't ever have to run for The will of the electorate. It's really important for us, the people, to consider what his position means, what exactly he stands for, because he hasn't had to present that to us. Yes, he did run for Mayor of London back, back in the day, but in order to take his current position as Prime Minister, he didn't have to run. He didn't have to pitch us a mandate. He didn't have to tell us much of what he stood for he just ran the leave campaign and and it's realistically on that basis that he has now taken power in order to push through the leave vote and ensure that Britain leaves the EU that's pretty much the only thing that at this point we know for certain britain is definitely leaving the eu on october 31st on the eve of halloween hell will break loose and whatever happens will happen but like i said we don't really know what Boris stands for, at least I don't, so when people ask for my views or my thoughts or what I think that his election means, well not election but his premiership means, to be honest I don't know, what do we know about Boris? So he was Margaret Thatcher's favourite journalist back in the day and his end goal was always to become Prime Minister. We know he puts on this fake persona of a bumbling oaf, but secretly he's a big bully. And I want to put that to bed, by the way. His scruffiness, all of that is definitely an act. I've now spoken to at least two people who have worked in Parliament, and both of them have confirmed that literally in between meetings, he'll rough up his tie and his hair to look scruffier. I don't know what he gets out of it. Does anyone actually understand the reasoning? I can understand that Many middle-class children often like to cosplay as homeless people. But what's the point? Is it so that people will underestimate him? I I really don't know. But now that he's PM, it is important that we familiarise ourselves with what we're dealing with. Boris has that standard whiff of colonial racism that many British people smell of, to be honest, but at least they all pretend that their noses are blocked because it's 2019. He definitely has the extra strength EDP version though, because any time he opens his mouth, the colonialism just jumps out. But let's be fair, you can't lead a party full of people who don't mind saying the n-word in the House of Commons, if you don't at least refer to brown people as Piccaninnies once in a while. I was actually looking for that Piccaninnies quote because I didn't want to take anything out of context, and then I stumbled across a treasure trove of Boris quotes from over the years, and I'd like to share some with you. Because memory is a strange thing when combined with the natural British instinct of being blind to things that you don't want to see and conveniently forgetting things you don't want to remember. So the rhetoric surrounding Boris is and has always been quite mixed. When he was mayor of London, he was, for the most part, the people's champion and everyone loved him. But as soon as he got a whiff of blood, he went into attack mode and started his assault on the most powerful position in the land. And in the last few years, we've seen him go from Mayor of London to leading the Leave campaign, and then coming back into the fold under Theresa May, and then stabbing her in the back and running off in the middle of the night, to starting his own campaign and running against her. And now he's Prime Minister. And if he had that All planned out from the beginning then you've just witnessed an absolute masterclass in politics. Honestly brilliant. The stuff of Netflix dramas. This is the season 8 finale that Cersei Lannister deserved. And now that he's in power lots of people will complain about his being racist or sexist or Islamophobic and a lot of people will also dismiss that because well people love to complain and grumble and dig things up about people's past that may seem, eh, slightly unpleasant. But I don't want us to get lost in the ameliorative gloss of the past and the media distraction. So I want to remind you of the important facts so you can make your own decisions. So that Piccanini's quote, it's from an article Boris has defended as being wholly satirical. It was in a Telegraph column in 2002 where he referred to Tony Blair's visit to Africa. And I quote, It is said that the Queen has come to love the Commonwealth, partly because it supplies her with regular cheering crowds of flag-waving piccaninis. In that same article, he later referred to African people as having watermelon smiles. But even before then, In the same newspaper column, he wrote about the resignation of Peter Mandelson, who was then the Labour Business Secretary. Peter Mandelson also happened to be gay. And so Boris wrote that the announcement of his departure would lead to the blubbing of tank-topped bumboys in the Ministry of Sound nightclub and the soft-lit Soho drinking clubs frequented by Mandy and his pals. A few years later, Boris also condemned... Labour's appalling agenda of, in his words, encouraging the teaching of homosexuality in schools and all the rest of it. Lest you think that quote was taken out of context in any way, in his own book, Boris wrote, If gay marriage was okay, and I was uncertain on the issue, then I saw no reason in principle why a union should not be consecrated between three men, as well as two men, or indeed, three men and a dog. And the list goes on. This year, Boris pledged to tackle the Islamophobia within his party. Even though, just last year, he wrote for the Telegraph in an article about the burqa ban in Norway saying, it is absolutely ridiculous that people should choose to go around looking like letterboxes. Adding that any female student who appeared at school or in a lecture, looking like a bank robber, should be asked to remove it. And then we get to the topic of sexism. We'll start with the fact that when Boris worked as a journalist, he kept a nude calendar by his desk, and on his departure, in a now infamous handover letter to his successor, he said, Once the fire is going well, you may find your eyes drifting to the lovely striped Chesterfield across the room. Is it the right size, you wonder, for a snooze? You come around in a panic, to find a lustrous pair of black eyes staring down at you. Relax, it's only Kimberly, with some helpful suggestions on boosting circulation. Kimberly Quinn, mind you, was the Spectator's publisher at the time. So, Boris Johnson's boss. And what was Boris's advice to his successor on how to deal with their boss? well, just pat her on the bottom and send her on her way. This is your Prime Minister, ladies and gentlemen. And there's no getting around that for now. For good measure, he also once said that voting Tory will cause your wife to have bigger breasts. I find that quote quite interesting because it tells you one, exactly who Boris sees as his electorate, and two, also where he sees the place of women in voting. I digress. At the very least, you now have a flavour of what to expect under your new premiere. Now across the pond, they have something similar. Although to be honest, while Boris and Trump are very similar, Boris is basically the little own brand version of Trump. As bad as Boris may seem, it's like comparing an Eiffel Tower keyring to the Eiffel Tower itself. One pushes for Brexit as a means of taking control of one's borders, while the other has concentration camps of screaming children. You get the idea. The The goals are the same, but the means are entirely different. I would never dream of listing the transgressions of Mr Trump because frankly we'd be here all day. So I'll try to switch things up by talking about his foreign policy. So if you haven't kept up with the China trade war, let's recap. Strengthening America's trade position was one of the main things Trump ran on in 2016. Then in 2017, after an investigation of Chinese trade practices, the US slapped billions of dollars' worth of tariffs on Chinese products, and Beijing retaliated in kind. The US started with 10% tariffs on about $200 billion worth of Chinese imports, on things from food ingredients to construction material. And naturally, China hit back with tariffs on 128 different product categories, including pork, fruit, and steel pipes. Then the tip for tat continues, the US raises tariffs to 25%, particularly on manufacturing components, vehicles, electric motors and machinery, batteries, engines, and so on. So why are they doing this? Why has Trump started this trade war? So in theory, tariffs on Chinese-made goods will make US products cheaper than imported ones, so effectively it encourages U.S. consumers to buy American-made products. But in practice, that's not how it works at all. See, the thing is, Chinese products are many multiples cheaper than American ones. So what really happens in practice is that for the average American who still wants to buy those Chinese products, it's just more expensive. And like I said, that's on everything from food ingredients to manufacturing materials, engines, batteries, all sorts of things. And these things are already existing within the everyday products that you buy. And you might not necessarily realize that the battery in the alarm clock you just bought from an American company was made in China. But all of these things will become more expensive due to the tariffs that the US is raising on China. But all of this isn't to say that China itself isn't also affected. So on the Chinese side, Uh, suppliers already have to compete on prices anyway. So these adjustments could lead to things like liquidations, factory closures, job losses, and falling incomes. And that is largely what Trump was banking on. However, things are starting to change. President Trump recently gave in to Chinese demands and ended restriction on ZTE, a Chinese technology company that was accused of threatening U.S. national interest. The backstory to all that, I won't get into too much, but effectively, I think they had an investigation into the president of the company because they've alleged that ZTE had gone against US sanctions on Iran by selling American-made products there. But behind all of this smoke, all of this is really just about who will control the future and who will be tomorrow's great superpower. Realistically, whoever owns tomorrow will be whoever owns the best technology. So what we're effectively seeing is Cold War 2.0 as America and China scramble for control over technological resources. And that's the battle that we're pretty much going to see spanning over the next decade or so. So right now, some of the biggest chip makers in the world are Chinese. The world's second largest phone producer was Huawei. The bigger issue, though, is the fear that many of these large Chinese companies are also state-backed rather than being completely independent. If you're unsure of the implications of that, just imagine it turned out that government officials also worked for Apple and Facebook and Netflix, and they had high-ranking positions within those companies. That's not to say that the government actively controls everything that they do, but it also means that there's definitely a conflict of interest, and there's also a high chance that these companies will be more willing to provide information to the Chinese government and collaborate with them in ways that the U.S. won't be able to with Facebook and Netflix and Apple. So Huawei is, or at least was up until recently, building the 5G infrastructure for much of the world, which is something that could become the backbone of the information economy. But if they're state-backed, then you're effectively giving China control of the world's information highways, And that's why Trump issued orders for U.S. companies to stop doing business with them. However, that resolve is quickly crumbling. And it's part of why I think Trump will inevitably lose the trade war. And my reasoning's very simple. Trump's promise to the American people to make America great again expires in 2020. Meanwhile, President Xi's election promise, the Made in China 2025 campaign, still has a few years on the clock. So with elections looming, Trump can't afford to keep pushing policies that will increase the cost of buying Chinese goods, because the biggest victims in America will be the farmers and the trade workers, the automobile manufacturers, essentially all the industries that won Trump the last election. And he needs those voters on his side to continue into a second term. So if Trump is re-elected, then I'm sure he'll double down on everything he's done so far. But for now, he's backtracked on his hard stance with North Korea. He's also conceded to China on the tariff increases. He's reversed the sanctions on Huawei, and he's lifted the ban on selling components to ZTE. And as MarketWatch columnist Howard Gold says, We've had two cave-ins on major Chinese companies in one year. We don't need an umpire to call strike three to declare this ballgame is over. In a nutshell as much as the US may want to hamper China's ambitions to take over the world's technology economy, it can't risk cutting off its nose to spite its face. And it will have to be careful in not only how it deals with China, but also the repercussions on its own people. That's all for today, thanks for tuning in. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe, it really helps the podcast. And if you have any comments or rebuttals, feel free to get at me on Twitter at thydailyedge or at JustCallMeBaba.
0: Circle K is America's thirst stop. And Dave's. Especially when Dave needs refreshments for family movie nights. So Dave heads straight to Circle K, where he grabs icy Polar Pop cups and frosters for the kids and chilled beer for the grown-ups. Enjoy family movie night, Dave. We'll be here for you all summer long. And right now at Circle K, save on all eight or 12 ounce Red Bull flavors. Buy two, get one free. So make us your first stop. Circle K, America's thirst stop. This morning, Jen woke up, made three
1: breakfasts, did two loads of laundry, and one conference call but she also saved $25 because Jen uses a new innovation from Huntington called Money Scout. It analyzes Jen's checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to her savings automatically. Learn more and enroll at huntington.com/moneyscout. Huntington. Welcome. Message and data rates may apply to text alerts. Money Scout is subject to eligibility terms and conditions and other account agreements. Member FDIC.